Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. I'm your host, Kate, and today I've invited Ellie DeVere from BetaShares, one of Australia's largest exchange-traded fund providers. In this episode, we bust some big myths about exchange-traded funds, ETFs for short, and well and truly break down the idea that ETFs are just a passing phase. This episode was kindly supported by eTax Accountants, Australia's favourite online tax agent. eTax is a company that I've personally used for the last few years to complete my tax returns online, with live assistance from qualified accountants and definitely no chatbots in sight. Some of their unique features include a live tax refund calculator and deduction tips based on your job to help boost your tax return. So sort out your taxes today by heading to eTax. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only and we're not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Now let's get started. Hi, Ellie. Welcome back to the How To Money podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me back on, Kate. It's great great to be back. Yeah, I think, and it's been about a year now since we last spoke about exchange-traded funds on the podcast, so it's a it's a good time to revisit the topic, um, especially because it has become a very popular topic in the media even more so recently. Yeah, definitely. I think it has almost been exactly a year, um, and the industry itself has grown um, a lot, I think, in a year, which we'll discuss a little bit later on, and ETFs is an investment product are just really starting to get some serious traction both in the media and with investors so we're consistently getting you know calls through the main lines and I think it's just really good to take a slightly deeper dive into the subject together. Yeah so today's episode um, our aim is to bust some myths about exchange traded funds or ETFs we'll probably use that term interchangeably throughout the episode and I've got Ali on from BetaShares to talk about this because she actually works for a firm that issues exchange-traded funds in Australia. Yeah. So um, for those listeners who are not familiar with us, so um, I am from an um, ETF provider called BetaShares. Um, we're one of the leading Australian ETF managers. Um, we started in Australia around 10 years ago and we're still you know, managed locally by our Australian team. Um, we have 55 funds that are traded on the ASX and we've actually just passed um, 8 billions in funds under management, which means 8 billion of 
um, investors' money that they have with us. So a pretty exciting milestone um, for us. Yeah, certainly a lot of money. And it's very it's very interesting to see how the trend um, has been towards exchange traded funds in the last year and it's definitely been a growing industry. I think you had some you were telling me some stats the other day about how big the industry was in Australia. Yeah, so um the ETF industry in Australia has actually just passed um fifty three billion dollars, which is massive. Um and uh which is a whole a whole new record for the industry as well. So um it really is just um you know, on an upwards trajectory, more investors are using them either as the first, um, you know, step into the share market, or um, as um, a complement to, you know, direct shares or managed funds or anything else that might be holding their portfolio. So it's really um, they have a, a really broad appeal from starters to you know very very seasoned investors. Mm, absolutely. And if anyone hasn't heard about exchange traded funds before. I'll put a few resources in the show notes to previous articles in the other episode we've done just so you can refer back to that um, because this episode we're just going to go straight into busting some myths about ETFs. All right, you ready, Ali? <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so the first myth that we can bust, I think, um, and something that we um, sometimes get asked, although it's declining a bit, is the fact that our ETFs are passing phase. So are ETFs just an investment trend? Will something else come along and essentially, you know, that'll be the next thing for people to get excited about? And I would love to say that um, ETFs, I think, are here to stay and it really is just a true growth story and it's reflected across so many numbers, um, both in terms of, you know, the amount of money people invest in the industry, so the overall size, the number of ETFs that are available and just the broad adoption of people actually using ETFs. So globally, um, ETFs have been around since uh, 1990 um, and in Australia since 2001. And uh, globally, there's 5.6 trillion um, of money invested in ETFs. So it's a huge uh, industry. And over the last 10 years, um, the growth rate has been around 20% per year um, uh, around the world. So again, just consistent, strong growth and I mean we are obviously um, of the mindset that that will just continue and then in Australia so obviously we're a smaller market than you know versus the world Australia versus the world um, and the latest review so we do a monthly review each month obviously um, into the Australian ETF industry just mapping any kind of trends growth forecasts um, latest uh, insights into the industry and our July one has just come out um, and as we said before, the industry has just um, surpassed $53 billion, um, which is at an all-time high, and it's just been growing um, at over 40% really since 2001. Mm, so they've got quite a bit of a track record now in Australia and globally. So a track record um, both uh, in use with um, more sophisticated or not sophisticated, um, potentially more experienced investors. So in Australia, um, the kind of first adopters, quote unquote, were um, uh, self-managed super fund investors that used it. And they still represent around 30% of the market um, in ETFs. However, really excitingly is around 30% of um, ETF investors currently are actually millennials. Um, and that's up from around 19% in 2013. So over the past you know, few years, um, we've just seen a consistent consistent growth in that younger 
cohort of investors really starting to kind of jump on board, understand what ETFs are. They've gone through, you know, that research phase and they're really starting to understand the benefits that ETFs can give them. Mm, And ETFs are such a a much more accessible way to invest with a small sum of money because you don't have to make a big decision about which share you're going to buy with your $500. You can get exposure to them all. Mm, Yeah, exactly. So um, in terms of accessing an ETF, because they trade on the stock exchange, so in Australia that's uh, that uh, ASX, Australian Securities Exchange, um, you just buy them as you would a share. So if you've ever, or you know, your mum or dad or anyone has ever bought Woolies or BHP or CSL um, through an online broker or through their advisor, that investing process is exactly the same. So you just set up an online brokerage account, you use the ticker, which all ETFs have, um, which is an, a unique ASX code to that fund. Um, an example is uh, BetaShares A200 fund, which is our Australian shares fund. A200 is the ticker. You just type that in to your brokerage account and you place your order and you buy. So there's no paperwork to fill out. Obviously, there's no investment minimums um, on our side. I think some online brokers do have investment minimums in terms of what they'll execute trade trades at. Um, but that's obviously up to the brokerage platform. I think Comsec is around five hundred dollars. Mm, yeah. Um, but check online, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think that leads us onto the second ETF myth that ETFs are riskier than uh, uh, traditional managed investments and other investment products that people are more familiar with. Hmm. Um, Yes, definitely another myth myth to bust. So I think maybe the perceptions of risk specifically for ETFs versus the other has just been the fact that it was a you know a new investment or way to invest that came or that is in the market. Um, and I mean, first off, all all investing so outside of ETFs, managed funds, shares, whatever you invest in, it does carry risk, um, and that's just primarily because you're exposed to the market. So whatever you're investing in. You, the value of that investment could go down, but it's just reflecting, obviously, you know, the changes in the market factors versus the actual structure of the investment itself. Mm. And they're definitely still a regulated uh, vehicle to invest money. It's not like there's some strange little um, third cousin on the side. They're <laughs> a legitimate investment product now. Yeah, no, definitely. There's um, no kind of wild west for ETFs at all, we can call it. Um ETFs are overseen and have the highest level of investor protection and regulation, and that is um, enforced by uh, a company or I should say government body called ASIC. And their sole job (laughs) is to essentially ensure that financial providers such as, you know, us or anyone else providing some kind of uh, fund is doing that in, you know, a regulated and, and safe environment to protect the end investor. Mm, and that's that's what we want. We want that as well. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the whole regulatory protection, um, ETFs are, you know, they're definitely uh, covered in terms of asset. Um, another, I think, common perception of risk just in general with investing that I think ETFs actually help overcome is diversification. So, Obviously, and hopefully, everyone's heard of, you know, the old analogy, you know, don't put your eggs in one basket. And the reason why that's hung around probably for, you know, 50,000 years 
is because it's just truth. Like the more diversified you are with essentially, you know, anything that you do, the greater opportunity you'll have just for managing um, and reducing risk in, in your portfolio. Um, and then, and the one thing that ETFs provide essentially is like the core, you know, one of the most cited benefits is that diversification. So especially in the instance of an ETF that provides exposure to shares, um, you'll buy one ETF, so one trade, but you'll gain exposure to an entire basket of shares. So in the instance where one of those companies underperforms or something happens, um, you won't feel or you won't have the effects of that single company underperformance as intensely via an ETF as if you were holding just that single company. I was trying to think of a good example to explain this. Um, and, you know, let's refer it back to some kind of pop culture going on. For anyone listening, there's a Netflix documentary out called The Great Hack. Anyway, so it's just about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, you know, through Facebook and um, the whole kind of data issues and all the discussions around data and privacy at the moment. Anyway, so obviously Facebook was kind of at the core um, of the uh, Cambridge Analytica uh, issues. Um, I think that was in early 2018. And when that first broke, so Facebook, um, its market cap obviously got hit really, really hard and it declined around 14%, whereas the NASDAQ 100 index as a whole, which is like a technology-based index, declined 2.4%-ish around that amount. So in the instance where you're an investor and you want to gain exposure to technology, Rather than going and, you know, picking single companies or co or just go and buy Facebook, by buying an uh, ETF that provides you exposure to technology, you gain that exposure to tech that you want, but you're not as exposed to such single kind of uh, concentrated risk to, if you were to go out and just, you know, buy a couple of single companies and then just hold them. So you do lower the risk by having a more diversified portfolio, but I guess some people worry with exchange-traded funds, uh, what happens if the ETF provider goes bust itself? Yeah, that's um, that's a great, great question, Kate, and something we also get uh, asked um, almost on a weekly basis. Um, and that's, you know, what happens to the money that you've gone and invested in an ETF um, if we were to just, you know, shut our doors tomorrow. And again, it just comes back down to the um, regulatory environment that we operate within. Um, and essentially the money from investors, so, you know, you, me, anyone listening, if they invest in um, a fund, um, they are kept separate from the actual provider of that ETF and um, they're held by um, what's known as a custodian. And that's an independent third-party business. So that essentially means any ETF assets that aren't, um, they're not available to, credit, to creditors of the issuer in the you know, very unlikely event that an ETF provider shuts down. Mm. So you do, you do have some protections there that it's actually separate and each exchange-traded fund is in sort of a separate pool of assets. Yes, yes. So think about it as just being ring-fenced from you know, any kind of normal business operations. And yeah, the key is really just to think about um, the assets are held in an independent third party business, which is known as a custodian. Um, we've got a few um, 
education articles on our site that takes um, a really deep dive into kind of custodian um, and ETF risks and other things to consider. Um, so anyone's welcome to to visit um, the BeaShares site and click on the education tab if you want to read about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I can include those in the show notes. Mm. Yeah, awesome. So I think the next myth we need to bust is that exchange traded funds underperform the market. Mm, this is a this is a great topic, and um, again, another great myth to bust. So most ETFs uh, aim to track um, an index and provide returns of that index um, to investors less any fees. Um, so the performance of an ETF is actually tied to what the market is doing. So the answer is yes, ETFs can un- underperform, but if they do, it means that the market has underperformed too. So it's not really related to the ETF itself. Um, A good example of this um, would be, let's say, we were looking at the um, Australian share market, the top 200 companies. So the uh, um, ETF that aims to track the performance of those top 200 ASX-listed companies is called A200. So A200 tracks that index of 200 companies, let's say, you know, the Royal Commission came around again, I don't know, some mining projects stopped and those large companies all, you know, severely underperformed versus, you know, the previous year. A200 performance, of course, would decline, but it would be in line with the market, obviously less any fees. Mm. And usually a big reason that ETFs might underperform what the general market's doing is fees. Yeah, so exactly. So whenever you invest in a fund of any type, um, there's a cost associated with owning that. So just in terms of the other costs, so let's say you know you've got your brokerage cost, and then you have the fees um, associated with an ETF. So always check um, you know what the what the cost is for that fund, and just ensure that you're aware that um, you know that is an associated cost with investing. And there's definitely an array of fees um, for different ETFs in Australia. I've seen some very low cost. Um, ETFs. And then there's some on the other end of the spectrum, we're looking at 1%, which is extremely high for an ETF. Mm, so, yeah, and with um, with costs, so um, how to read the costs as well for anyone who's not, um, not familiar. So if you go to a provider's website and you look at the fees and it will be um, charged as a percent, and that essentially means um, a percentage of the uh, dollars that you have invested in, in that fund, and that actually comes out. Uh, you don't get sent it all for that at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, they uh, sneakily just take it out of the unit price and you don't even realise the fees you've paid. Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. So, and then the way to think about it, so in the case of A200, which is um, the lowest cost Australian shares ETF, um, the fee on that is seven basis points or 0.07% per annum. And so that represents 70 cents for every thousand dollars invested so if you work from that kind of base and then you can start figuring out how much your investment will cost you you you've definitely got to compare when you're having a look at different management fees and sometimes it is is warranted a higher management fee because the etf might have a specific strategy or might be doing something a little bit more complicated than a basic um a basic etf tracking the australian top 200 Um, But it's definitely something to keep in mind because it is a more passive investing style. So it doesn't take the the company running it as much work because they're not having to pick and choose the stocks that are going to outperform. They're just replicating an index. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, the impact of fees over time, um, there's a lot of lot of content out on the internet about how that um, affects the actual overall perform, uh, performance and returns of your portfolio. So I definitely am an advocate for fees not being the be-all and end-all, but definitely if you're investing for the long term, which I certainly am, Kate, I'm sure you are, mm. just to be aware of what of what you're being charged. And that is why one of the appeals of ETFs as well, because in comparison to, um, you know, traditional kind of actively managed funds, they are actually, you know, much cheaper um, and they suit, you know, different investors' needs as well. Mm. And I I think we kind of touched on the next myth we're going to bust, that all ETFs are created equal and they're, they're certainly not and there's a whole range of different ETFs out there. There definitely are. Can you guess how many ETFs are in Australia right now? Oh, I don't know, 500? 245. Not there. Not not at 500 just yet. Give us a couple more years. Oh, wow. I, I feel like I, I see a new one every week popping up. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot. We've done three, uh, four this year, I think. Our latest one was um, uh, uh, BetaShares India Quality ETF which we were were really really excited to launch to market there's a lot of you know a lot of demand so we were we were pretty excited to get that one off the ranks yeah and that one was pretty interesting because individual investors it's very hard to actually invest in in the Indian share market because I I think you have to be licensed to actually just buy shares on their share market yeah I mean it's just it's a really exciting and kind of fast-growing economy and yeah prior to our one this really really restricted options in uh, for local investors, um, not to mention the Indian market's quite concentrated and like quite inefficient. Um, and so this is, you know, an ETF that essentially you can just buy as you would buying any type of ETF. So, um, yeah, we're really excited to launch that one. It's lost cost in Australia. You know, you just buy it on the ASX as with all our funds. So, so that's one of the 245. There's a lot out there. I mean, the other day I saw a, and there's now a cannabis ETF in the US. So um, there's, there's something for everyone nowadays. Yeah, definitely. There really is. There really, really is. Um, and <clears throat> back to the myth of, um, you know, ETFs are all created equal. It's just, you know, I mean, it's just not true. I mean, in terms of uh, maybe the structure and how you buy ETFs, e.g. it's on the ASX and you buy it, all the same that's what an ETF is. But in terms of, you know, the underlying, all different, you know, you can access cybersecurity uh, companies, India that we've touched on, obviously technology, ethical strategies, top 200. And even currencies and things like you can make bets against or for the share market going up or down or one way or another. So um, there's even sort of ETFs that aren't really owning anything underneath, but making it a sort of a a guess about what's going to happen next yeah there are um definitely etfs we have uh leveraged etfs as part of you know our bear suite kind of where you can short a market and where you can also um have you know get exposure to the markets as well they are slightly more um complex funds and so you know as with as with all investments it's definitely about making sure you read the pds make sure you really understand what this product will do for you um, you know, speak to professionals before you kind of dive into that to that type of investing. But um, as you said, it's something for any type of need. So with all, you know, this really wide variety, it just adds to the appeal and just expanded the kind of options that people really have. But I think the core 
um, you know, things to look at um, when considering any ETF that I know might separate some ETFs from another is just making sure that you're, you know, looking at a ETF and also the provider, making sure that they're reputable. Uh, make sure you understand what you're getting exposure to because obviously, you know, cybersecurity is going to perform very differently from India, as an example. <laughs> um, again, we've touched on it before, just check the costs involved and, of course, you know, decide how you want to invest in it as well. So you're going to use an online broker, are you going to use a financial advisor, you're going to speak to your parents and ask them to assist you. Um, so definitely always ask uh, those questions of yourself um, when when looking at all this crazy wide variety of ETFs that we have. Um, all right, so a next myth, I'll, I'll, I'll run us through it, is um, that with ETFs that you don't actually own anything, which again is another question uh, we receive um, all the time. And so I think a good way of explaining it will be another example. Kate, you're going to be my example <laughs> and using one of our funds as well. But So when you invest in an ETF, you own units in that ETF. And so in the example of A200, so A200, the fund, aims to track an in, the index of the top 200 ASX-listed companies. So for A200 to provide that exposure to you, Kate, our investor, um, beta shares will generally buy the shares in the amounts um, in which they make up the index. So those amounts um, are referred to as weightings. So if you jump on our website or a provider's website and download a fact sheet, um, here's some homework or something for this evening or whenever, um, scroll down and look at um, the weightings area, which will say top 10 exposures, and it will show you the name of the company and then it will have a percentage next to it. And that represents the weighting of that company in the index. Yes. So, you know, if you're putting $100 in and 2% is CBA, for example, you're getting approximately $2 worth of CBA shares. Yeah. 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 So that represents, um, you know, the weighting and in terms of um, how they're bought to then give UK that exposure. Um, and so then every uh, unit you hold is ownership of that ETF that gives you exposure to those underlying shares that we've that we've bought. Um, and so in terms of kind of not owning anything, obviously you own the ETF which you've bought. And if you buy through a broker, for example, so I think sometimes with investing, and I mean I really struggled with this, with this when I first started, was you don't really get anything to hold <laughs> once you've bought it. They don't wrap it up with a nice red bow. I know, I know. So, I mean, if you go and, I don't know, buy some shoes online or something, you know, you spend your money, you watch it tracked and it gets delivered to you and you have something tangible to hold in your hands. And I think that's sometimes a disconnect with investing and, you know, just, um, I don't know, putting money somewhere else. Um, and so in terms of that kind of tangible confirmation or at least uh, validation that you do own something. So when you buy through a broker, um, you'll have confirmation of that ownership via something that's called a trade settlement notice. And that'll be emailed to you and it will say that, you know, Kate's bought XYZ in A200, done. So you have a, you know, a record of your ownership in, in that fund. Yeah, a, a piece of paper on the computer, that's all you get. <laughs> so, um, so in terms of the fact that you don't own anything, you do your own units in that ETF. 
Yeah, and that is gives you beneficial ownership of the basket underneath. Awesome. So I think that one is probably the most common question I probably hear um, because it's, yeah, it's quite different from even like I guess with shares, you can kind of think I own one share of this company. But then just having units in an ETF, it's uh, a little bit harder to wrap your head around. So I, I think that's why some people stay away, which I like. I don't want people to stay away for that exact reason. Um, but I think that's a hard one to sort of wrap your head around when you're getting started. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And especially, I mean, in terms of buying a share, it's just it's you know investment behaviour that's been around forever. And you know, your parents might talk about buying shares in that way as well. And so you you know you think about that buying pro or that investment process in that way. But the way I think about it is instead of buying one share in, you know, Woolworths or whatever, I have, you know, units in A200 and that unit represents, you know, how much I own of it. But I tend to just look at the performance and, you know, so on and so forth versus the actual like uh, quantitative number that I've got when I log into my uh, online app. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, the common objective of investing is to all, particularly um, in my instance, I buy things and I've put it in the bottom drawer and I won't look at it for, you know, for 50 years. And it's just to watch it, you know, watch the growth of that over time. And I look at that growth as an overall number versus, you know, that individual kind of unit pricing or how many units I own in a fund. It's more like how is it performing over the long term. So, yeah, the unit price just as an arbitrary number doesn't really give you any insight into the ETF. It's once you've actually bought some units and then it's the increase after that yeah of of that unit price over time versus i own two units versus three units versus four just how like i own one share three shares four shares you know it's about how um it's helping kind of to deliver on your investment goals i suppose yeah absolutely now ellie i think we've got time to bust one more myth which one did you want to do all right let's do etfs are responsible for market volatility and causing bubbles. And I think that one's uh, had a few headlines in the last year. So many headlines. A bit of uh, doomsday no naysayers are out and about saying that uh, ETFs are going to cause the market to crash. Yes. Um, and once again, it is a call um, and question that we, we get often and one that we do uh, really like answering as well. Um, so we'll just start off with a recap of kind of what what market volatility is, and essentially it's just the range of a price change of a you know a security or a, and we'll just do an example of a share. The range of that price change over a given period. So if a price uh, stays relatively stable, it would be uh, noted as having low volatility, whereas a highly volatile you know share security is one that moves quite, you know, erratically and experiences, uh, you know, rapid increases and dramatic falls as well. So in Australia last week, so the first week of August, um, there was some significant volatility in markets um, and that uh, was a discussion around essentially price movements happening. So that's what market volatility is. And so then it leads us to, are ETFs responsible for this kind of market volatility and are they causing bubbles? So bubbles is when a security become like really, really overvalued, right? And then it pops. I think um, Bitcoin was quite a good example. 
And then obviously it crashed. I think there's been a bit of a recovery. So that's what you would call quite a volatile security and a bit of a bubble. Um, so with the ETF question and, you know, being responsible for driving this type of volatility, it's good to, you know, think about it in kind of two ways. So there's like the technical side of uh, investing and how markets perform and then obviously the emotional side as well. And so there's several claims that ETFs kind of drive prices up and that is what is introducing volatility into the market. Um, we always say, you know, if ETFs accounted for enough of, you know, the stock market, it might be something that, you know, we look at. But in Australia, I mean, the total value of the, the stock market is around $2 trillion, again, trillion. Pretty big numbers here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, huge numbers, huge numbers. And ETFs for all of their growth, as we said before, it's around $50 billion, which is, you know, a tiny percent of things, about 2% of, of that. And then if you just look at just Australian equity ETFs, that accounts for around 17-ish billion of the ETF market. It's like 0.08. All right. So um, to answer the question about ETFs and its relationship with this kind of volatility and driving prices up, it's good to think about of it um, in two ways. So there's the technical side of you know market performance and then obviously the emotional side. With ETFs driving up prices, I mean, there might be something in the in this argument, if ETFs accounted for enough of the stock market to impact across the board. So, but it's just, it's still like, whilst it's, you know, big and for all their growth, it still accounts for, uh, you know, 50 billion um, in the stock market of around 2 trillion. And so a tiny percent, so around 2 to 3% of the overall stock market, um, which is around $2 trillion. Um, and then the Australian equities component of that, which is what you know you really look at, is 17 billion, which is not even one percent of the overall kind of ASX stock market. Um, and so the discussion around ETFs have the ability to move that entire you know two trillion dollar market. It's just it's just not really logical because it's just you know it's just too small um, to create those kind of uh, huge price movements and bubbles that people people think um, is happening. Yeah, and I think there's always going to be active fund managers. There's going to be people wanting to pick shares and try and outperform. So I think there's enough people there that keep the market um, on the right track. Yeah, and I mean, you, you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, what actually really drives that volatility. And it's not, you know, ETFs, it's not shares, it's not any other type of product it's actually us like humans are kind of responsible for driving market volatility and the behavior of investors i mean regardless people of what the markets are doing they're going to buy you know a share or an etf or whatever they want to buy and an etf is just a way to gain exposure to whatever they're after so it's not you know the structure of of a financial product it's actually you know, behavior that's driving, you know, rapid selling or rapid buying in markets. So, so not the cause for market volatility. We'll say, we'll say that myth is busted. Absolutely. Well, I think we've, uh, we've busted a few myths today and uh, hopefully given um, listeners a little bit more information on some further details on how ETFs work and some of the more intricate points. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've covered off some great stuff. Obviously, if there are any questions at all, be sure to contact us or, you know, 
no doubt reach out to you as well, Kate, and we can help out with any questions. Maybe we'll get some inspiration for podcast round three. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll include all of Ellie's um, and Beta Share's contact details in the show notes. So if you have any questions, you can follow up with them directly. Awesome. All right. Well, Ellie, thanks so much for joining me and busting all these ETF myths for us today. Awesome. Thank you so much again for having Beta Shares and me on How To Money. No worries. Well, we'll look forward to the third podcast next year then. Sounds good. Maybe we'll be at 500 ETFs by then. You never know. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks. See ya. Thank you for listening to today's How To Money podcast episode with Ellie from Beta Shares. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.